0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. It is so, so good to be with you. I am excited also to welcome my good friend Sean is here, and also Jason Bokesh. I don't know if everybody saw that he is here. So, so good to have you all here with us this morning. and It's a, it's a great time for me. I'm excited to be back in the pulpit with you this morning. It's been about eight, nine weeks, and uh, Ben and I usually take a about that amount of time each summer to kind of step away from the week-to-week grind of preaching and put some time into longer sermon series planning and prep and to focus on other parts of our jobs and It's a great time for us but also for everyone because we always get some fantastic guest preachers every time we step away. So I was really looking forward to this past series and it really delivered. I wanna thank everybody who came from outside the congregation, everybody within, Michael, Jim, Kelly, Brad, yes. Fantastic, great sermon series it was really really wonderful and it's also a a fun morning to be back in the pulpit because tomorrow and therefore this weekend today is our 1 year anniversary of being in this building <laughs> how great is that it's been a whole year and so i just i think there's so much to look back on over this last year in gratitude for how God has brought us here, even beyond the last year, and the way that he has faithfully brought us here together into this place, and so it's, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. We're beginning a new sermon series, which is also kind of an old sermon series. Ben and I did about eight weeks of the word of the Lord a couple summers ago, and we've decided to pick it back up again for the next six. Uh, this is a series, if you weren't with us when we did it first, where Ben and I will choose our sermon texts from something called the Revised Common Lectionary. And so this is just a collection of texts that's uh, been around for a while and acknowledged across denominations that follows a three year cycle of the church year, the church calendar, right? So Lent, Easter, Advent, Christmas, etc. And so each Sunday, uh, Ben and I will have usually around four texts to choose our sermon text from. There's always an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a gospel, an epistle. And so it's a great time for us to get to really put ourselves under the authority of God in all of Scripture, in all of His Word, and even in corners that we don't normally frequent which is why I'm excited that we are in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. That's what I love about the word of the Lord, is it takes us to places like Deuteronomy. We get to blow the cobwebs and dust off this fifth book of the Bible, right? Because it's not a place that we visit all that often, particularly in services. Deuteronomy is this kind of uh, you know, notoriously stands in the way of many read the Bible in a year plans, right? You're like, I made it through Leviticus. I made it through Numbers, Deuteronomy. (laughs) But it's an important book. Uh, In fact, Don Rorcasie, who just preached last week from Matthew chapter 4, The Temptation of Jesus, you'll notice that Jesus quotes three different passages of Scripture to the devil. Anybody want to guess where those three passages are found? Deuteronomy is where Jesus quotes three times. And in light of that, I think we ought to reevaluate the kind of importance that we place, not just in Deuteronomy, but in all of Scripture. And so that's why I'm excited to spend some time there with you this morning. Let's go ahead and begin in prayer. Lord God, we give thanks for this morning. We thank you for your word that is ever true and that continues to change and transform us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, to grow and to go together as a church family, as people being built up into the body of Christ. I ask again for the gift of preaching this morning Lord, and that you would open up our hearts and illuminate our minds with your words. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. My favorite Paul Simon album is Graceland. And it's a fantastic record, if you haven't heard it. It's, it's a high watermark for his post-Garfunkel career. And it's really great because he collaborated with a lot of uh, musicians from South Africa, actually kind of controversially at the time. But it's a great record, start to finish. However, when I first started listening to it, I didn't love tracks three and four. Uh, Tracks three and four just didn't quite fit into the rest of the album for me. There were some kind of like grating harmonies, and there was like some weird instrumentation and accordion at one point, and it just wasn't what I was really expecting or wanting in context of the whole rest of the album. But as I've gone on, I've continued more and more, of course, to appreciate tracks three and four on Graceland they 're great and and those harmonies that didn 't seem quite in place now I realize fit beautifully in the whole and, and and it is the product, the whole thing of one unified authorial voice of paul Simon i 'm of course not just talking about graceland i 'm talking also this morning about Deuteronomy and scripture. Deuteronomy is a distinct voice in scripture it 's got a really unique theological take on things, and there are times where the sounds we hear in Deuteronomy don't seem to coalesce with the rest of what we expect in Scripture. There are times where the harmonies might grate on us or or change our expectations, but again, the more we engage with it, the more we listen to God's Word in Deuteronomy, the more we see that it actually fits beautifully in this diverse tapestry of voices that is all of scripture. It is also the work of the author, the triune God. And so that's what I hope we hear this morning as we engage with our text. Deuteronomy 30 verses nine through 14. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors, when you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you. Surely, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't mean to begin by depressing anybody here, but summer is beginning to wind down. I'm sorry. But that means most of our kids have already been to camps. If you're gonna go to a camp, you've probably already been there. Church camp, basketball camp, math camp, wherever you camp. And I think camp is an interesting opportunity, especially the night before camp, for parents to sometimes deliver long, impassioned speeches about how kids are gonna act while they're apart. Right? It's a chance to say, look, we've instilled these principles in you, the, this, these characters. You need to go off to camp and act as if you were the same kid that we have raised you to be. Even though I'm not going to be with you, this is your chance right, to go to camp and, and live in life-giving ways and not in ways that lead to shaving your friend's eyebrow on the last night. I promise I didn't do it. I just heard about it. That's a little bit like what we have in Deuteronomy here. Israel is on the precipice of the promised land. They are about to cross over to this land that God had promised to deliver to them, that he had promised and covenanted all the way back to Abraham. And Moses knows he doesn't get to go in. Moses knows that his days are numbered, his death is imminent, and he's not going to get to accompany the people into the promised land. And so all of Deuteronomy is kind of presented to us as this sort of long, impassioned speech or sermon from Moses to Israel, God's people. He's trying to remind them how they are to act in the promised land, how they are to act according to God's covenant relationship with them. Alright, so God has established this covenant all the way back with Abraham. He's established the covenant at Sinai, delivered the law. And now here in Deuteronomy, especially chapters 29 and our chapter 30, he is sort of re-establishing or reiterating this covenant with Israel, telling them how they should live according to his words. And so that's the context for us as we dive right back into verse 9 and 10. He says, "...the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors." When you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turned the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's always important to keep the ancient context in mind when we read scripture. And I think it's doubly important here in Deuteronomy 30, because when we hear these words just as 21st century Americans it sort of sounds a little bit like the prosperity gospel to me. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that or or knows what the prosperity gospel is. If you haven't heard the name, you've probably ingested it unconsciously throughout your lives at some point. But the prosperity gospel is essentially the belief that if I obey God, my life will be great right? If I simply just follow God's commandments, then things will go well for me. I will be blessed. If I donate to this televangelist fundraising campaign, maybe one day I will be able to afford a private jet of my own. That's the prosperity gospel. And I think we have a tendency to hear Deuteronomy 30 with those kind of ears, to hear these promises of blessing and abundance. Well, if I obey God, me, Brett, then my life's gonna be fantastic. Or, or in the context of our country, if America will obey God, then everything's gonna go well for us. We will be blessed. Or our small business, or our nonprofit, or our political party, what have you. That's the problem with hearing this passage only with our own ears. You see, the prosperity gospel is a bit like sampling a song. Right? If we've already talked about Deuteronomy as a kind of distinct song on the album of Holy Scripture, the prosperity gospel lifts like a, a little melody, maybe the verse melody from Deuteronomy, and it builds a completely different song around it. Right? You've heard this. It's, it's common in R&B and hip-hop. You know, P. Diddy will take like a guitar lick from the police and he'll write a totally different song around it that's different and possibly even antithetical to the original. That's a bit like what the prosperity gospel, or really bad theology, false teaching in general, it, it lifts a line and, and then it builds something completely different around it. That's what happens when we come to this text forgetting the context. And so I wanna wanna push back against that kind of misreading. I think we already have by talking about this promised land context. This is a word delivered to Israel on the edge of the promised land. God is, is trying to get them into the promised land and Moses is saying look, you guys have messed up a lot before and it didn't go well. God really wants this to go well. He wants you to live up to your end of this covenant. He wants to bless you and prosper you in order to bless all nations, if you remember Genesis 12. But there's another way I want to nuance this text for us. You see, I think these promises of abundance in Deuteronomy 30, insofar as they apply to us today, I think they apply and they are true. It's partial now and perfect later. The promises of abundance in Deuteronomy 30 are partial now and perfect later. Here's what I mean by that. It is true that following God's commandments can and often does bring things into alignment in your life. These are commands intended to be life-giving, right? It is true that these aren't just arbitrary rules trying to suck the fun out of life. These are rules trying to give life and promote human flourishing, God's law. And so when you live according to God's law, yes, some things will go well for you. For instance, when you follow God's command to forgive, guess what? that usually releases you from a lot of hatred and anger and contempt and grudge holding. And all of a sudden, because I've followed this commandment to forgive someone who has wronged me, not only have I maybe assuaged some hurt in others or in the community, but I've probably freed myself to be a happier, healthier, more whole and peaceful person. So it is true that yes, Following God's commands can make things go well for you in certain ways. That's what they're designed to do to help you live with the grain of the universe. But it's also true that following God's commands does not always lead to abundant prosperity, right? It's it's partially true. Sometimes following God's commands lead you directly down the path of suffering. The most obedient human being to God's commandments ever was Jesus Christ. And we all saw where that led him. Right? It led him down the path of the cross. And so there's another sense in which following God's commands do not lead us necessarily to abundant prosperity now. It's partial now. It's imperfect in this imperfect fallen world. But these promises of abundance in Deuteronomy 30 are ultimately pointing towards the later perfection. Right? Every promise of goodness and truth and beauty and abundance in the Bible is ultimately pointing us to that greater hope, to the wedding feast of the Lamb, to the restoration of all things, right? To Jesus coming back and setting things finally right with the world. It's it's partial now. It's perfect later. All right, these promises of abundance are made to Israel on the plains of Moab with Moses. And yet they do apply to us partially now and perfectly later as we look ahead to God's fulfilled future. But the success of this prosperity in Deuteronomy is is precipitated on obedience, right? The obedience to these commands. And so verse 11 says, kind of gives us another strange note in this song. In verse 11, Moses says, Surely this commandment, delivering God's word to them, that I am commanding you today, is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. I assume every parent's going to go home and inscribe that on the doorposts of your kids' bedrooms. This command is not too hard for you. Did you hear that? As the father of a toddler, though, there are times, right, when, when we think, no, this isn't too hard for you. You can do this. You can eat one bite of the noodles that mama made for you, right? You, you can go to sleep after the third glass of water I gave you and not need a fourth, right? Right? I don't think it's far-fetched to hear, to listen to this passage with that kind of tone. God thinking, no, you, you can do this. This isn't too hard for you. I actually think Jesus kind of echoes this in the Gospels with his disciples often. right? It's like, you guys, faith of a mustard seed. right? You can stay up one hour praying with me before I'm arrested, right? You can do this. And yet, there are commands in the Bible that are incredibly hard for us to hang on to. Love your enemy? Turn the other cheek? The Christian sex ethic, celibacy before marriage, chaste sex in marriage? Very demanding. Not only love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And surely this commandment is not too hard? Moses. But I think before we quibble with Moses too much on this, I think we ought to listen to his whole thought. He says, surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. Notice these inaccessible places that Moses is talking about. He's like, who's going to go up into heaven and grab the word of God for us? Who's going to go across the sea and get this word? He's saying, you don't have to do that. We should hear this text echoing the kind of heroic ideals of the ancient Near East, right? We should be hearing the Epic of Gilgamesh. We should be hearing Odysseus and Homer's Odyssey. And you don't have to go across the sea, past the siren song and get the word. No, the word is very near to you, in your mouth, in your heart for you to observe, This is not a word that we go off and heroically retrieve or achieve. This is a word that has drawn near. We don't go to find the word. The word has come to find us because the very word that is in our mouth and in our heart is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It is his command it is Jesus that has, that has drawn near as the Word of God, who has lived perfect obedience, who has died perfect righteousness and been raised in perfect power. And therefore, Christian obedience, our following God's Word, is not made possible by God's, what He commands, it's made possible by what God gives made possible by God giving himself in Jesus Christ all the way to the cross. If we hear a command from God, it's only because God has already graciously turned towards us right? If we are hearing, if we are having demands placed upon us by God, it's only because He has already graciously spoken His salvation to us. Our obedience is made possible by what He gives. Christian obedience is what we do after what Jesus has done, because the Word has come near. We didn't have to go out and get it. But the word that has promised blessings, that promised and spoke blessings all the way to Abraham is now and will bless all the nations of the earth through his salvation. St. Augustine said this in a prayer to God. He said, you were more inward than the most inward place of my heart more inward than the most inward place of my heart. That word that calls us to, to follow Jesus, to act according to God's commands, is the word that has already freed us to do it. The word that is in our hearts and on our tongues, church. So let us stand and praise that word together with the word on our tongues in Jesus Christ.